Hi, this is Dr. Dion Klein, and I'm here with Shelly Cosberg, who is based in Austin, Texas. Um, hi, Shelly. How are you this morning or this evening? Hi, Dion. And um, so Shelly and I have known each other for about over 30 years now, and I'm not going to go over the journey that we've been on from knowing me in my previous life to you know being Dion. Um, more importantly, Shelly has been a counselor and still is a counselor, and a number of our clientele are transgender. And so this is what the topic of the conversation is today. So Shelly, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and you know how you got to be a counselor? Because when we met, you were a personal trainer. Right. So I sort of found my way into the fitness industry by accident because I just loved being in shape. And so when you and I met, I was managing a fitness center and training clients. And then at some point, I was getting a little older, and I looked around, and I thought to myself, all these young people coming in and working at the gym, I'm going to be a dinosaur one of these days. What else can I do? And then I started asking myself what it was I liked about the work I did, and what I liked was helping people help themselves. And so I thought about what that might look like in another career and finally decided to go for a master's in professional counseling. And during my studies, I did an internship here in Austin at a place called Out Youth Austin, which is a nonprofit organization that was um, organized probably now 30, 35 years ago. Uh, for the LGBTQ population in Austin that were young. So the ages that it um, services are age 13 to 18, and kids age out at 18. So it's, it's like a sort of a recreation center, and they have support groups and speakers and activities, and it's a place for the LGBTQ community to go and feel safe and sort of commune with their own. And I did my internship there. So that is how I originally developed uh, a fondness and an affection for this particular population. And what year did you do your internship with them? Let's see, that would have been 1997. So that was that was early on, which is around the time that I transitioned as well. Um, you know, basically we're looking at 22 years later, where the discussion about being transgender is uh, it's topical, but it's not as um, I'll, say, I'll use the word different as it was back in the late 90s. Uh, being gay and lesbian was was com I'll say common conversation, but. I know for myself that conversation with other trans people wasn't as out there as it is today. We didn't have talk shows on it. We didn't see movies about it at that time very much. It was still a fairly hidden area. How was that in Austin at that time? Well, what you're saying is true. In fact, um, my experience at, at Out Youth Austin was interesting in that most of the kids there identified as either L, G, or B. <laughs> and so there were very few that were T, and the Q at the time was still sort of a tab taboo thing to say. Mm. Uh, it 
the word, you know, some of the words that had been used as derogatory and inflammatory were sort of taken out of um, taken out of the culture for a while, and, and now have reemerged, and um, the population has sort of taken ownership of those words. But in those days, yes, it was much. Um, although it wasn't particularly common in general culture, it was more common to meet kids that identified as lesbian or gay. One of my earliest responsibilities at Out Youth Austin was to go around to the area high schools and junior high schools and conduct meetings with the administrators, the principals and the vice principals and the nurses and the counselors, and to let them know that there were gay and lesbian kids in their school, whether they knew it or not, whether the kids were out or not, there were kids there. Mm, and mm. what we were trying to do is let them know that if kids came to them, if kids came to them and outed themselves or came to them with challenges, they needed to have some tools and resources. And so my uh, assignment was to go around and dispense information and answer questions, uh, you know, for, for the administrators of these schools. But at that time, there were very, very, very few individuals who actually identified openly as trans or transgender. What we might see as, you know, young girls dressing very much like young boys or young boys dressing very much as young girls. But at that time, really, um, there weren't too many people that were openly identifying and, you know, using the terms. Mm. And certainly very few that were openly making the effort to actual tra actually transition. Yeah, yeah. So in your training and, and as part of that internship, uh, especially coming around trans people, uh, how was that addressed even in your education of counseling people that were uh, identified as transgender or who, who were transgender? You know, uh, although it's been a long time, I think I'm going to say that specifically there was never probably even a mention of transgender. We did have a lot of training about uh multicultural and diverse populations and so again the lgbt because that has become it's hard for me to even say now without <laughs> saying the t yeah but uh the lg the lgb community at that time we certainly were you know trained about that and talked about you know what the challenges were but to be very honest with you most of my Training, most of my education, most of my experience has come from working with uh, people who are transgender. And of course, knowing you all these years was a bonus because I was able to, I actually knew someone that I could have open and honest conversations about uh, that were give and take because, of course, as a therapist, it's sort of a one sided conversation most of the time mm, mm. with the client, you know, giving me a lot of information and me helping them through. So, um, yeah, I've really gained most of my knowledge about the whole concept of transgender and what goes on for individuals who identify as transgender. I think that's 
been more through experiencing people that are transgender. Mm. And of course, reading and trying to educate myself a little bit. Yeah, of course. So um, think about one of your first clients who were transgender. What were some of the issues, you know, back back then? What were some of the issues that arose for them? Well, interestingly, one of my earliest clients that was transgender was not really a client, but the significant other of a client. And so that person eventually did come in to do some couples work with my client. Um, So we did not, uh, I didn't work directly with that individual, but uh, because of the couples work I did, again, I sort of, uh, some of the work that we did for the couple was around the challenges that they had in society, uh, being a particular couple where one of the partners was uh, transgender. And so a lot of the challenges, and still continue to be, I mean, there's, there's um, I think the challenges, of what transgender people experience are actually less varied than what transgender people experience internally. What I mean by that is that most of the transgender people that I have met, their internal journey has been very individualistic. No two stories are the same in terms of what they know about themselves, when they knew it, how they knew it, those kinds of things. But their experience with the outside world is pretty constant and predictable. And uh, the the looks, the judgment, the questions, uh, the curiosities, uh, the name-calling, those things are the constant that people experience. Even in Austin, which is a pretty open-minded city? I think um, Austin might be one of the more open-minded cities for transgender population, but Austin is still in Texas, (laughs) and (laughs) Texas is not particularly known for being um, liberal in that sense. So, Mm. yes, in Austin, um, I think it's probably easier to blend in and live your life no matter how odd you might be or how different you might be from what the general population thinks you should be. But there are plenty of people in Austin who are not uh, informed or educated or open. Mm. And, of course, it's those people when they feel free to be vocal that cause so many problems. Mm-hmm. I have one, you know, one of the constants uh, that I hear from clients, particularly prior to transition, when they, when they first begin living their truth, um, but they haven't completely transitioned, meaning maybe no medical intervention yet, uh, but they've change their outward appearance, they might have changed the name they go by. One of the constants that I hear is the challenge with restrooms, public restrooms. And especially in um, in Austin, well in Texas they had the restroom bill, so that obviously was uh, pretty right. topical a few right. years ago, and, and probably still now. So tell me a little bit about about that, and I can you know appreciate that. Just share some of the 
the ways that you have counseled them in going through that and even some of their struggles and then how they come to terms with it? Because I think that would be useful for the listeners. So, again, um, my best answer when you say how do they come to terms with it is that each person is so individual and different in how they handle it. So, for example, um, I can think of one individual who almost never, if they can help it, goes to a public restroom because they never know when they may encounter a confrontation. They don't always, but they do sometimes, and it makes them very uncomfortable. They are aware that if they look a certain way on particular days, they can maybe get by with it with less confrontation than if they look a different way. Uh, but, you know, so that person will go out of their way, literally out of their way, to to not have to go to the bathroom in a public place. Uh, and then I have, uh, you know, I have another client who has just learned to go in and not really make eye contact and not really try to engage anyone and just go take care of business and, and that sort of thing. And, of course, one of the conversations that I sort of almost enjoy having with both transgender men and transgender women is the fact that every restroom has stalls, but mm. only women's restrooms are all stalls. Yes. And so um, it's just an interesting experience that how transgender women really aren't as... Um, you know, they don't have as hard a time because they can slip in and go straight into a stall. Mm. And I guess, you know, it's a little more unusual maybe in a men's restroom to go straight to a stall because unless you have, you know, that kind of business to do, you don't yeah. go to a stall. On the other hand, the rest of the story is that if you're a transgender woman in a woman's restroom, if for some reason someone is able to determine that you're transgender, they then may identify you as a male and what are you doing in here? Yes. As, a, as opposed to a transgender woman who goes into a men's restroom may not be as noticeable. Well, depending so on depending on what different dynamics going on. Yeah, um I mean, I know for myself when the whole bathroom came about, I, I actually found it quite easy because going to the stall wasn't a big issue. And so you could seamlessly go into the men's restroom and do your business and come out. And because uh, you know, normally female to male tend to um, blend in, more so than right. male to female, right. depending on the stature of that woman, um, it's right. it's not a big issue. Right, right. Yeah. The other point I was going to make is that I find that one of the things that really affects how each individual experiences the outside world rubbing against them or sliding up against them, however you want to put it, it, it really varies. Um, 
the, the person I was referring to earlier who came in as part of a couple, mm-hmm. when, I, when that person first joined their partner in counseling, um, it was fairly early in their transition, and they were very private about it. They were very um, closed off about it to most of the outside world. Their, their close friends knew and the family knew, but that was pretty much it. And, um, and that was fine. That was what was working for them. But interestingly, over a period of a couple of years, this couple got married. And, of course, the person, uh, it was not a same-sex marriage at that point. It was a heterosexual marriage because the person had fully transitioned. And so uh, over time, for some reason, this person became much more comfortable with being more public about their transition. And almost, um, I wouldn't say turned into a crusader, but certainly turned into someone who wanted to make a difference mm. uh, in terms of the transgender community. Uh, at the other end of the spectrum, I have a client who had always um, thought they were gay. I'm not even going to indicate which gender, but always thought they were gay, and then had a relationship thing go awry and that for some reason convinced them that they were transgender and in a very short period of time went to a counselor went to a doctor got their parents approval which is a phenomenal part of the story had surgery um and like it like i said in a very short period of time began living their truth and almost refuses to look back, almost refuses to um, let the former self be part of the total self at this point, Mm. doesn't want anybody who doesn't need to know to know, um, lives their life completely, including having roommates um, in, quote unquote, in the closet. Yeah. This person, you know, very few people know, and it's so so. It's so interesting to see the continuum of how people decide to live their life in in the public arena or not. Yes, yeah. And, and yeah. what I find is that that seems. I think I'm going all the way around to say that seems to sort of dictate what type of. Um, I guess, healthy adjustments they've made, mm. uh, you know, when, when they can embrace the whole self. I find that early in the process, early in the transition, for some people, they just want to get to where they're going and be done with it and quit thinking about it. Yeah, 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 I, I can understand that. Um, yeah, that's interesting, and we can we can pursue that further. What I want to do is I'd, I'd like to go back to the couple because I think that's a, an an interesting aspect when you talk about couples who you know were same sex and then there's a transition going on, and that that dynamic and some of the issues that arise through that. Um, if you could just go through some of that process of you were counseling this one person and then 
you know, her partner came in to that. So actually, it's even slightly more uh, complicated, but for me anyway, as a therapist, <laughs> interesting than that. So I will say that um, my client, the original client that I had, first came to me when she was in a relationship with another woman. However, she had never identified as lesbian. She had always identified as heterosexual, but had somehow or another fallen in love with this woman. And so that was fine with her. That was fine with the woman. She then sort of, you know, shifted to considering herself bisexual since she had been in relationships with men and now was in a relationship with woman, a woman. That relationship went on for a few years. It was not a particularly healthy relationship, and it eventually ended. Oh, wait, let me back up. That was her second relationship with a woman. That was So she had a relationship with a woman several years prior. That relationship ended. She found herself in another relationship with a woman. At this point, she's kind of considering herself bisexual. And she comes to me um, just for her own individual counseling. Her relationship with her second girlfriend ended. And she then became involved with the person that she eventually married. That person had already begun the transition. Okay. And so when she started in that relationship, in a way for her, it was, and again, she, you know, she ended up identifying herself as someone who just falls in love with the person. Uh, and so the gender was not as, you know, paramount to her as it might be to some people. Hmm. But she did end up falling in love with this person who eventually, or had already begun to transition and eventually completely transitioned to be male. And so she now is in a heterosexual marriage, interestingly. Hmm. Um, the footnote, the reason I had to go back and correct myself is the footnote is the first girlfriend also ended up transitioning. Wow, <laughs> And yeah. so my individual client was originally in a lesbian relationship with someone who eventually transitioned to be male, and then she was in a lesbian relationship, and then she was in a heterosexual relationship with someone who had transitioned to be male. Which... How about that for complicated? Well, it, you know, it, it is and it isn't. And, and what you said there was this, this individual, you know, she just falls in, she falls in love with a person, which is ideally is probably what it should be, that we fall in love with people that we connect with. And if we talk at the, the energy level, uh, you know, if she originally identified as heterosexual, that energy, and you probably see in this all couples, whether they be same-sex couples or um, heterosexual or, you know, trans couples, each individual has a particular energy. They either, a feminine energy is dominant or a male energy is dominant. Um, have you, have you sure. seen that in your counseling? Yes. Um, however, because of psychology terms, we have to be careful when you're talking about um, feminine or masculine energy or traits, because a lot of that are, is a physical energy, mm. but a lot of it is also sort of more of a personality uh, trait in terms of, let's say, being aggressive versus assertive versus submissive or um, more dominant 
versus more passive. Um, so, you know, I think that there's um, one of the things I've experienced because I have I have actually uh, had one of my I would say my favorite population in the world to work with are gay couples, either lesbian couples or male gay gay male couples. And the reason I enjoy them so much is because the energy is so interesting to watch. And so what I mean by that is if you have two males, sometimes you really do have someone who's a little bit more on the masculine side in terms of their presentation and someone who's a little bit more on the effeminate side as their presentation. But that doesn't necessarily mean that their relationship follows those same stereotypes. Mm -hmm. So it may be... You know, it may be the one that appears macho is really the pushover. Yeah. And it may be the one who appears sort of sweet and accommodating is the one who's more controlling and dom dominant. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I find, um, which is the other thing that's super fascinating to me as a therapist, is that there is not one, there's no way to stereotype same-sex couples. Um, I have, I have seen couples that they really are the stereotypes that sort of old-fashioned people think where there's one who's more masculine, one who's more feminine, regardless of whether they're men or women. Uh, but I have seen two super, super feminine females together in a great relationship. I have seen to super, super masculine males that if you saw them walking down the street together or separately, it, there's nothing to indicate that they're a same-sex romantic couple. So that's been really fascinating. It helps me recognize that although there are stereotypes, there are also stereotype breakers mm. everywhere you look. Yeah, very true, very true. Is um, Have you... Um counseled any other um, people who are in a, a, a trans relationship or a relationship with a transgender person that had their yeah I actually I one of the one of the things that I've encountered more recently um, is I have had a couple of clients who are in relationships with people who consider or people individuals or in relationships where they consider themselves not necessarily transgender male or female, but some one of the other terms, which are generally in the vicinity of either uh, gender non-conforming mm. or non-binary or gender fluid, those kinds of things. Yep. And that's also been really interesting um, because uh, more times than not, it makes the relationship you know, if the two people have it figured out, that's great. But again, for societal norms, it really confuses things. Mm. For you know, for people who want to put labels on it one way or another. Yeah, and, and the pronouns often are different. Then um, I've run in in the last couple, two or three years, I've run into numerous individuals who prefer the pronouns they, them, their. Uh, and so that's kind of been an interesting, I always want to honor people's pronouns and, you know, it's, it, it, you have to get trained, you have to remember to do that. 
Mm, mm. Well, very in 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 any case uh, with people right, that we work right, with. Right, right, yeah. um, Yes, I do have. Um, I have. You know, I have. To be honest, as I'm thinking about it, I have um, couples that one one person is trans or non-binary. I have individuals. I have. Uh, I have seen young individuals, teenagers, that have begun to identify as transgender and they're still living with their parents and sometimes their parents are more or less accepting of it. Um, I, have, uh, I have a client who uh, has a child who um, has not yet quite determined where they are on the spectrum and so they have they were born a female and have a female given name, but they also have a male name that they often go by. And uh, the clothing and perhaps the makeup may reflect from one day to the next how they're feeling. And these are not um, these are not people that are just otherwise, you know, weird, flaky kids that are just kind of out there in the world not doing anything. These are like. They're serious kids. They're in school. They're, you know, learning a trade. They're they have friends. They are, do volunteer work, um, but they're making their way in the world. Um, they're, you know, they're trying to find their place in the world. Mm, mm. Which which is why I enjoy the work so much. Which in, it, actually, I think all of us are trying to uh, whether we are, um, you know, identify as gay, lesbian, straight you know, whatever, I think we all are trying to find our place in the world. At yes, I agree <laughs> with that. And, but, but, yeah, I mean, that, isn't that a great way to kind of bring it all around? And But the challenge is, for this particular community, there aren't as many spaces made available in the world because of uh, biases and fear and ignorance. And so... You know, it's kind of like if if you're making a place for yourself in the world and you walk into a crowd and sort of just metaphorically say, is there a place for me here? And someone looks at you and doesn't like your looks and say, and says, no, say for someone else. Mm, you know? mm. I'm, so, aware, I'm aware of but time. I think it's true. Every... Yeah, go ahead, finish. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think that is true. I think... You know, one of the reasons that the work that I do is so uh, important to my clients and fulfilling to me is because although some of them may have, you know, friends and family who are supportive, m many of them don't. And rarely, even if they do, have people in their lives who understand enough to you know, the to ask, so that they can figure their own place out. Mm. Um, because they've been, they've been working under other people's stereotypes. Yes, yes. One last question I have for you, because I'm aware of time, and, and from a counselor's point of view, because there might be counselors who are, are listening uh, on this podcast, is what what's one or two things that a counselor who has a client that comes in as trans and they haven't necessarily worked with, you know, that cohort, what would you 
you know, advise them or suggest them of how to work with that client, especially if it's, you know, one of the first times they have been exposed to it? Mm -hmm. I would say to um, be respectful in the way you ask questions. So be respectful, but ask questions, remain curious, um, try to limit judgment. Because what I find is that when, if you've not been exposed to this sort of thing, a lot of times without realizing it, we tend to put judgment on things that we think, things that we don't know anything about, but we're trying to fit them somewhere, you know, we're trying to fit them with what we already know about. And so what I would say is just to remain completely open and curious and respectful and let them tell you their story. The main point that I wanted to make in this conversation is I think someone who considers themselves transgender is like fingerprints. Every single experience is an individual experience. No two are going to be the same. So you have to from that individual what's going on with them and what they're looking for in terms of um, help and support. Uh, that's a fantastic way to uh, to finish uh, because we all are individuals and, and we just don't go by a, a, a particular blueprint. So, Shelly, thank you very much for your time and also your insight into working with um, the trans community as well as the gay and lesbian community uh, as well. And I'm sure that we will be talking uh, again in the future because I know that you have a wealth of knowledge uh, working with with trans people. So thank you again. Thank you, Dion. This has been awesome, and I appreciate all the work you're doing, too.